Welcome to the Next Level Sales Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Jankowski. Uh, this is a show for early career, first-time sales leaders. How do you get to avoid the mistakes that, you know, just frankly, most people that I know made in, in uh, early, uh, early part of their career? Uh, my guest today is Blake Hudson. Uh, welcome to the show, Blake. How you doing, Derek? Thanks for having me. A uh, couple, couple big milestones in your life, man. A, you just moved to LA, so you live by me. I'm looking forward to uh, hanging out after we get through these holidays, but congrats on the move. Yeah, man. I haven't had uh, too many podcasts I've been on where I'm, I'm neighbors with, with the host, so yeah. looking forward to that. It's fun. And uh, the other thing is, as by the time this podcast comes out, you'll have started at your new gig as um, a CR manager over at Tapcart. Yeah. So congrats on that as well. Thank you. Very, um, it was great how that whole situation worked out. I'm so excited to join the team at Tapcart, meeting a lot of them tomorrow for the first time. So, yeah. It's exciting, man. Um, can you tell us, so you're saying that, you know, about how great it worked out. Can you tell us anything about how you got connected with them? What, you know, what you learned about them as you went in? Yeah. So the first thing I noticed was um, their VP of sales, Ray Carroll. I LinkedIn, you see a lot of sales leaders and I stumbled across some of the, the content he was creating and got to see his background and the work he had done in previous companies. And, you know, he was explaining why he joined Tapcart. And I'm like, well, if someone like that is going to a place like this, I think I'm, you know, I'm in more about it. And so did just that, asked a bunch more questions and come to find out, you know, some of the mentors in my, in my life had either worked with or know of. The, the leadership team at Tapcart. And so it was one of those things where it was like, the people I know, I'm trying to be like, work with individuals, I'm trying to work around. And it was all this really like serendipitous, you know, situation where I got to connect with some people that are really important to me. Um, they were able to speak to, you know, me, my background, what I could do. And it all worked out really well. But like I said, meeting some of them for the first time, that's just, uh, it's just crazy. It's making it all like so surreal being out here. I feel like we've been in this pandemic mode and even moving out here felt kind of strange. So to go into an office tomorrow, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. And are they primarily back in the office at this point? I'm not sure. It sounds like they're a little bit of a hybrid. I'm looking forward to being in an office at least you know, <laughs> once a week or something, just kind of be around civilization. But um, yeah, I think they're still figuring that out too. For sure. Um, well, do you mind just taking a couple of minutes and walk us through how did you first become a sales leader, right? Um, and see what's the short background. What, what happened between then to get you to land where you are today? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I feel like I was telling this to, to Ray in the interview process. I feel like a lot of my life and career in particular has led up. Um, I've always, you know, been the type of person that, you know, wanted to invest in other people. Um, I, I had a background where I feel like we're kind of highs and lows. So I was in a single parent home, low income community, and I grew up with some different, you know, circumstances that happened to me. It was like a home invasion or, you know, being in this difficult environment. And that low caused me to really think and consider what could I do to be a positive in my environment, considering the things that were happening around me. And um, my parents and my, my grandparents, they kind of instilled in me this like mindset of investing in community, investing in the people around you and 
and trying to be a part of a solution instead of perpetuating a problem. So as I that manifested itself in this mindset of like, you know, where can my talent, where can my skills mean the most for the most? And I realized very early on that that was education, that was public service. And so that sort of mindset drove me all the way up through college where I political science, you know, I went to the University of Illinois, uh, worked on my master's in public administration and ultimately decided to um, run for state Senate when I was 24 because I was I don't know, a weird 24 year old, but for context, yeah, that's cool. Illinois State Senate is what I was doing four years before he became president. So that kind of level of policy making. And I was pretty, you know, invested. So, in so, so you're basically ready to be president. Basically, that's, that's, okay. what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. No, right. I, it was, it was a very interesting experience. I studied policy. I went and worked in our state capital for a year as a staffer. And um, ultimately though, I, I kind of got burnt out a little bit. I ran my campaign. I worked on a congressional campaign and I started to recognize that my relationships were becoming very transactional in politics. There's all get what can I give type of a thing and I also noticed that that was going to be service for a season of my life it didn't have to be my whole entire career I needed to go get a skill and bring it back to the political arena so I started looking around and I was in a very liminal career at that time this is you know after grad school after the campaign and just trying to get my footing and I, I was in this like, you know, admissions role for a university. And my boss had mentioned one day, it's like, well, you know, Blake, this is a sales role. We're selling the university. And that was funny to me because I doing pretty well. I was selling the university pretty well. I'd hit my goal, exceeded it, but I wasn't getting paid like a seller. I wasn't getting trained like a seller. And I found that to be odd. So I started looking into that, stumbled across the sales boot camp called Victory Lab and got my feet in or as an SDR at a fintech startup in Chicago and learned all those like things you need to know at the entry level, right? Getting the cold calls done, sending the emails, getting rejections. And it's funny because I had done all that in politics and honestly, easy coming into tech sales because I didn't have anything to sell in politics. You sell it yourself, right? You, you don't have some product or cool service. It's you. Do they believe in you? So when I got to tech sales and I'm like, wait, I got this, this fancy service, this great, great product. And no one's going to cuss me out. Names on the phone. Like this, this is easy, right? Relatively speaking, it had its ups and downs, <laughs> um, but learned a lot in that role, got to progress, got to lead an SDR team and, and encourage and motivate and coach and all those sorts of things. Left that took a couple of stints that like, I would call them like passion projects, like companies I really believed in, uh, Victory Lab, Rework, both helping people transition into tech sales. And um, those were very fulfilling for me because something that's really important is help get a clear sense of who they are, what they need to do and why they're doing it. Identity, practice and purpose. But the reality is, is that the role, the place, the opportunity for me to do that, I think in the most impactful way is as a manager, as a leader, being able to help people understand what the vision is for their, for their personal life or for their professional life and how to navigate the journey to get there. It's what I've done over the last few years. It's what I've been able to help people do. And now I just get to do it, I think, on a consistent basis with the same group. of people, And that's something I'm really looking forward to. Okay. Wow. 
And can you talk about, all right, so you're, I mean, I love that how varied your experience is, right? Like you have so much to draw on as you go about doing, I mean, what you're going to do next, but, but anything, can you talk about how your last gig, you were director of sales enablement, how did being in that role, um, if change how you look at sales leadership, like the actual job of managing salespeople? That's a great question. Yeah, it was something that was, it became clear to me as I walked into the role and that's context informs content. And so a lot of enablement leaders, they're, they're trying to get adoption of tools or get a process understood. And, and I was seeing people on the front end of their sales career, right? And, and helping them get situated and comfortable in sales. And then I was also talking to like the opposite of the perspective, the, the sales leaders that were hiring these individuals that were trying to get to their team, ramp quickly and you know, hit the ground running. And what I found was, is if you don't first take that time to contextualize this information, it's going to be very difficult for people to own it and feel like it's theirs. So what do I mean by that? Um, perfect. Let's take a tool like outreach. Outreach email software kind of helps you communicate to a wide audience. Getting someone who's never done tech sales, getting someone who's never been in a sales role to understand the power of a tool like outreach is difficult unless you create the for them. So help them understand, hey, if you were to go send, uh, say you need to talk to a thousand people, maybe a list of a thousand people, you need to communicate with them. What is the most efficient way to get in touch with those individuals? Who, who are you going to follow up with? How are you going to track the you know, effectiveness of that uh, outreach? And you start asking them these questions, you create the problem for them, you create a knowledge gap for them. And you're not doing it in jargon. You're not doing it in a, in a context they don't understand. Everyone's reached out to someone. Everyone's sent an email. You're not going to send a thousand BCs. Not what's going to happen. And so once you create this space in their mind of, okay, this is the problem. Now you can put that solution in front of them. And I think it fits a lot better. And that's just one very tiny example with one specific tool. But doing that for the whole of you know, their sales I found to be really impactful because then they approached it with confidence. And when a seller approaches this work with confidence early on, they're able to withstand rejection. They're able to, to overcome adversity, to pursue big ambitious quotas. Starts with that confidence. And I think, you know, how you identify different concepts in sales, how you help them have a clarity of identity and, and move forward with, with purpose. So that's, that's the biggest lesson that I learned in that enablement position. Can you talk a little bit more about generating that confidence? Because, and just to set the table a little bit here, like, you know, whether somebody is an SDR and this is their first ever sales job, or it's somebody who has a bunch of experience and they just don't understand the industry, or there's always, no matter who the sales rep is, there's always something new, right? That can eat away at that confidence. How, how else, what are some other tools you can offer or tips for kicking off, like, strong confidence in somebody's new. Well, I would like to kind of ask you, what do you feel like are one of the biggest weak spots for a new seller? I think is one of those areas where the confidence seems to be lacking from the start. I mean, I think the specific area changes up. It's just like in most companies, there's so much that's new, right? So 
ideally I would hire somebody who's used all of my tools, hired in, you know, sold into my industry at a product that's the same price point and already knows my product, <laughs> right? In reality, I probably don't get any of those things. And so all of those things are new. Um, and reps, I think, have a little bit of, because they don't know that they know it well enough, or they're always worried that there's one additional, you know, one thing out there that they haven't learned, there can be a little bit of like tentativeness or as they go and start making calls. Yeah, I, I like to, I agree with that, by the way, the newness of it all. One of the areas in which I see it manifest itself big time is in cold calling. A lot of people have this trepidation when they approach cold calling. And one of the things I try and get new sellers to understand, you are calling them, you're calling a specific purpose, person on purpose, right? You have something to offer them. You have a solution for a problem. They may or may not know exists yet. And if they say no to you, if they hang up, that's fine. You're going to have to get so many no's to get a yes. That's just the way it goes. Running for office and I had to call and, and fundraise. It got to a point where I realized I was going to get 10 no's before I got a yes. And so as I went through the day and I'd get these no's or not now's or, you know, follow up later, it didn't hurt because I knew that was a part of the process. So the same way with your cold, you're, you're kind of like an investigative journalist. You're gathering more information. You're trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. Your, your, your customer is your best sales coach is what Brian Barr used to tell me. Your customers, your best sales coach, and they'll tell you if you're doing well or not. So helping a new rep understand them on purpose. You have a solution. Just that mindset will change your disposition and the way you go about that call and the way you approach it. And you can approach it with confidence. And so those are the sorts of things I think where it's helpful to give them context and help them understand like you're right. Even if someone hangs up on you, even if they get mad or you cuss you out or whatever, like you're still doing it right. You don't have control over that outcome. You have control over the input and what you put into it. I love that. Okay. Well, let's talk about the thing that I'm most excited about in this, in this interview, you know, uh, leading up to this, you and I spoke a bit about um, setting a vision for your team uh, and getting their buy-in so they stay motivated through the inevitable difficult times that happen, right? We just came out of the holidays, right? I know everyone's listening to this in the future. It's January 3rd right now. So, uh, for my team specifically, like we barely closed anything after 12, 15, you know, we knew that was coming, but you know, may, maybe for a lot of teams, motivation starts to drop off and, you know, talk, can you talk a bit about developing that vision, uh, for the team? Well, I think there's a couple of ways to look at it because one, you're going to get your vision from sales leadership to the company from the board, right? And you'll have those like very clear objective leadership and vision goals. But then there's also like the micro view of it as well, of how are you leading your team? What are you rallying around? What are some of the values that you're as, a, as an SDR team or an A team or whatever your, your part of the company is? And I think it's being able to build a bridge between those two. I'm a big believer in narrative. I think narrative is important. It's how we communicate important things as humans. And every great story has three very elements to it. You've got a character who navigates some sort of journey to accomplish a goal, 
right? And that journey can be an adversity. It's something that changes you, it transforms you. But when you, when you change your perspective on that journey and understand that it is shaping your it makes it a lot easier to move through that situation. So you set that vision for your team, right? We need to accomplish these goals, but we're trying to become a certain type of team on the way. I uh, want to give secrets away. I guess I'll be talking about it in the next week or so, but I'm talking to my team about a concept that kind of came up in my interview with Ray. Um, but essentially he was you know, talking to me, someone who would be stepping into a management role officially for the first time and he was, you know, why should I hire you? And I'm like, at the end of the day, Ray, rookies win championships too. And that was just my, on my heart and how I felt about the situation. And when I talked to the SDRs, I'm going to instill upon them that same mindset because rookies win championships too. No matter what our goals are at Tapcart Big Picture, no matter what those objectives are, those quotas, those numbers, we're going to have the mindset to go win a championship too, that we're not limited by our experience. We're not limited by resources. We're not limited by any of these things. In fact, in spite of those things, we are going to overachieve. We are going to get better. We're going to be the exception. And so that's been, right? The OKRs, the KPIs, the things that are being handed down to us, goals for sure and important to hit. But who we see ourselves becoming between now and there is really what's important. And now when we go through difficult times or when we miss how we bounce back, we've already spoken towards that. We've got that vision in mind of who we want to be. So being able to kind of set a vision for your team is helping them understand who they are, preparing them, so to speak, for that, that journey, but helping them understand change on the way there. And that's a part of the, the vision as well. Okay. Can you talk about, okay, so let's say that you pitch that vision. Um, how do you make sure it stays in their minds so that the vision wins over whatever short-term thing is hard today? Can you elaborate on that question a little bit more? <clears throat> yeah. Like, like uh, uh, bad leaders talk about vision too, right? Mm -hmm. And what I think is like the difference is the bad leader says it at the beginning of the month or the quarter of the year, never talks about it again. Everybody forgets or makes fun of it. You know, it doesn't have any impact on the actual team. So how do you keep coming back to it in order to ensure that the vision that you talk about whenever you're doing it tomorrow or next week or whatever, stays with the team and actually influences their behavior. Yeah, you know, there's a delicate balance. I, you said bad leaders talk about vision. I disagree a little bit. I think the bad leaders are the ones that don't talk about it at all. And then there's who talk about it poorly. And then good leaders, to your answer your question, the reason why I think it sustains why the team kind of really vibes with it is because it's an anchor. It's something they can come back to. And if you don't ever come back to it, then it's not real right? Things on a wall. But if you can come back to this when things are difficult, then that's something that sticks. Um, another thing too, with vision and leadership is vulnerability. A lot of leaders, they try and present themselves as invincible. or And that's a surefire way to lose people. And it's also, it, going back to a politics thing, when, when you are trying to present yourself as this perfect person, any mistake, 
any wrongdoing, anything that you do that's a mess up is going to be highlighted, going to be emphasized because you set this expectation of perfection. Now, when you've got this vision in mind for your team and you can level with them and you can be vulnerable with them, it creates channels. I like to call them channels. It creates channels of vulnerability, creates channels, creates channels of uh, perseverance, right? Like these are all channels that you open up with the way in which you communicate with your team. So being able to, to come back to these visions, being able to come back to those concepts of, hey, rookies win championships too. Mistake, you make a rookie mistake, that happens. That we're not interested in just avoiding the mistake. It's how we bounce back from it, right? Coming back to that concept, not just it was an orientation day thing or we mentioned it one time or we came up with a team charter at the beginning of the quarter. No, it's got to it's got to be something real and tangible that anchors your team. So, okay, so what it sounds like is you come back to it in tons of conversations, mm-hmm. like not just here's what it is, or we'll revisit it every month or whatever, but like somebody has a bad day and you're like, okay, remember our vision is this, like mm-hmm. it's okay that you did that. It actually aligns with our vision as long as we take the right next step. That's the other thing too. I'm glad you mentioned this because I think in sales in particular, it's very easy as a leader to have all your one-on-ones just gravitate towards numbers, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what you're there for is to hit your numbers. But if you don't take the time to figure out what's the narrative behind those numbers, you're going to lose people. You're going to lose their ambition. You're going to lose motivation or perseverance. And so I'm a big believer in taking the time to get to know the person, to understand what's that narrative behind the numbers, what's going on there. How can I support you? What is the thing that I don't know about that's affecting you? Because then when I create that sort of interaction and ultimately determine how deep we go with that, you know, I'm going to push someone deeper than they want to. But then when we come back to the large group, we've got these kind of smaller vignettes of relationships. And then we come back to the large group and we have a holistic view. Like we have a whole team of people that know each other, that know, that respect each other, that trust each other. And so it takes work, like long story short, to have a great vision as a leader, to lead a team well, it takes work. And the work is getting to know your people and seeing how you can support them. And I feel like it seems so obvious to me as a leader, you work for your people. You are there to serve them and to put them in positions to succeed. And I don't know how people miss that. But on the other hand, it's like, it seems so counterintuitive. Cause that's not, that's not the numbers, like that's the thing. That's not, that's kind of a waste of time. It's not, it's really not. It's a, it's actually a shortcut <laughs> in the law, in the grand scheme of things. But I mean, that's just, that's how I believe leadership works is how I've been led well. And the times where I haven't been led well, that's what's been. Yeah. It's so easy in sales. You know, I think a lot about sales versus other departments and we, have a clearly defined metric that determines if we are being successful or not, right? Or let's just say like, so we have revenue, right? We might have different teams have different things. You might have like a pipeline or whatever it is, but like a lot of departments don't have that. And the downside to it is we tend to think that the metric, that that's what matters, like, that we over-focus on the end result. I think a lot about, uh, 
God, there, there's a book called The Score Takes Care of Itself. It's the second time I've heard that in the last week. Really? Yeah. I can't remember. Someone was like this immediately. It's uh, it's worth it to hear of itself. Yeah, yeah, it's Bill Walsh. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was Ray. Shout out to Ray Carroll. You in our last interview, he was like, "Blake, you need to read this book." I'm like, cool, got it. I recommend it. I probably have it if you want to borrow it or just have it. But like, um, just the concept itself. Uh, you know, he talks a lot of about the book. Uh, talks a lot in the book about um, forget the scoreboard. Make sure you are doing the work right, and that you're getting better at doing the work. And we often lose focus of that in sales because we look at the number. And I remember in my own career, whenever I would focus on the scoreboard, like I have a really good month and then I would focus on the scoreboard, right? Super proud of my results. And that's, and then that next month would be dog shit. Like, (laughs) because I didn't focus on what mattered. And it's really hard to, sometimes we even get pressure sometimes to, focus on the result over the process. I don't know. Can you, have you had that experience? Can you talk to that? Like what, like what seems to help? Um, One of the things I, I really try and advocate for people that are new in sales is to understand that you are not your numbers. Mm -hmm. Now, like, wait, what, what am I, if I'm not my numbers, your identity is not found in, in those numbers. If you looked up at a scoreboard, that is, that is indicative of, what you've done on the field, work you put in, but it's not indicative of who you are. And when people allow those numbers to subsume their identity, well, when you hit them, you're on top of the world. You're great. Mm-hmm. When you miss it, you are a failure. You have messed up. And it puts you in a very difficult spot because now you don't know what sustains you. Because last month you were great and this month you're not. But to your point, to the point of this book, is if your identity is wrapped up in you can control the inputs, well, then when you hit that number, that's great. That's a manifestation of the work I put in. If you don't hit that number, it happens. I did what I could. I'll go back to the drawing board and figure out how to get better. Um, I read, uh, there's a book on Mama Mentality. And in that book, he talks about uh, game-winning shots and how a game-winning shot is just another shot. Is not a lot of pressure along with that. Cause when I've already taken a thousand shots, I've already made 500 jump shots that day alone, game day. What's one more? If I miss it, I don't have to look back with shame and, and frustration because I put the work in. And when I make it, I don't have to be surprised and think this was a stroke of luck because I put the work in. And so his identity wasn't in, I hit that game winning shot. His identity, I made 500 jump shots that day. I made a thousand shots that day. And so when we can have that mindset as sellers, I think that's what leads to a much more sustained success because you can control that. You can take ownership of work. And that's a good place to put your identity is in that practice. It's kind of those three words that came back to, but your identity, your practice, your purpose, who are you, what are you doing and why? And focusing up on the scoreboard is a surefire way to, to lose, to fall on your face. The, the thought that's sticking in my brain as we talk about this is like, you know, as humans, we can actually attach our identity to anything. Right. So 
you know, why not attach it to something that is just going to like make you feel good about your life and continue to improve. Right. It's almost never the result, which is, that's the case there, but like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's why we they, have that um, power. There's a lot of research out there about goals now. Um, anyone's interested in this, they can go check out Atomic Habits by James Clear. Mm, great book. Yeah. Goals, they, they leave a lot to be desired in terms of fulfillment. They're important. Surely set goals, right? It's important. Those objective things hold yourself accountable to, but systems is a far better approach, a far better place to put your focus on. Systems and habits, the things that are the day in, the day out. And when you make that your focus, you accomplish your goals and you exceed them. But if you set your goal all along the way, you're kind of just in this waiting period because you don't know yet, you're, the focus is on the goal. And then when you inevitably get to it, whether you miss it or you hit it, you're then ready for the next thing. It's on to the next, you can't even really appreciate it. So your point, like putting your identity in things that are more within your locus of control, that are more within your ability to impact. And the goal, it's like waiting for you to get there. The system is here today. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of systems over goals. Have you read uh, any Scott Adams? He wrote a book called How to Fail at Everything and Still Win Big. Yes, I hadn't read that book. But yeah, Scott Adams is a great author. Um. Yeah, it's such an important concept. Like, you know, a system could be eat healthy, which is more important than losing weight. Like weight loss is, you know, I don't know, man. It's like one of the biggest industries in America because like every program fails, <laughs> you know? It's because like focusing on the weight loss is not the way to lose weight, Right. for example, right? Like- eat healthy and move so yeah, he talks about that specific example in the book which is why i bring it up but you know the best salespeople, i think like spend less time worrying about what was my revenue number and more time worrying about am i putting the right number of opportunities into the funnel and executing good demos am i trial closing am i getting you know am i doing all the steps right that's how you get it so and you can uh, track of that. I mean, to, to kind yeah. of go nitty gritty a little bit, but like those are things that makes it easier for you to do what I call sales math, right? It's like, I was never a big fan of math growing up. It's not my strong suit, but in sales, it's beautiful to start to count like from, from the end goal, right? Do I have enough opportunities in the pipeline? Have right. I had enough people hang up on me today, right? Like asking those sorts of questions and keeping track of those sorts of data points, like, that's a great place to put your focus as a seller. You can control it because it creates a measure of predictability. And for those folks that are new to sales, you know, they, they wonder sometimes like, how do you know whether you're going to succeed or not in the next month? How do you, that's got to be nerve wracking. It is if you're not doing the, the math, right. If you're not right. It's like, if I have a thousand people I need to talk to, I'm going to be all right. I think I'm going to hit my number. If I talk to them, if I only have a hundred, because I didn't do the work of prospecting, then I'm, I'm shooting myself in the foot. You know, I'm, I'm going to miss out. So to your point, knowing those your sales process and making sure each one of them is stocked with the prospect or an opportunity. For sure, man. Uh, coming up on time here. So 
what last couple of questions I'm gonna bunch them together. What are what is something you just wish every sales leader knew? Um, particularly in startups, because things are so changing and ever evolving, is this concept that kind of came upon me. I didn't necessarily what it was in the moment, but this thing called the gratitude gap, where okay. I was very frustrated. Um, a lot of my teammates were very frustrated. This was in a sales world. Quota had doubled. You know, people felt they were they should have been promoted. And um, what I found or was there was always something to be entitled to. It's always something to be frustrated about. And and what I realized is like if your entitlement creeps up above your gratitude, that is a gap that is going to determine your frustration. Consequently, if your gratitude can go up above your entitlement, that is a gap that is going to determine your happiness. Because with entitlement, you lose twice. You are frustrated by what you've yet to receive. The whole time, you, you, you aren't there yet. You appreciate what you have now. Whereas the gratitude, you win twice. Everything you have is, is enough. And the new and the more and the better is just that new and more and better. And so I would, I wish that sales leaders could instill upon their reps to like looking at what you have to be grateful in this opportunity and focusing on that. And so for me, a very real example, what that looked like was when I would get the, the hangups or the nose or the gatekeeper that doesn't pass me by. It's like they picked up or that's one less lead I need to call back now. Or like just trying to see the good in things, because if you focus on the bad, there's plenty of that to go around. It's going to sour your mood. It's going to kind of ruin the, the vibe, the culture of your team. But if you've got a group of people that are always looking for what is there to be good, what is there to be appreciated, it's the mindset. It's going to allow people to move forward with confidence, with hope, with happiness. I love that, man. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We covered so much really good shit here. Uh, for anyone listening, all the books we talked about will be in the show notes um, and read them all. So I really recommend them. <laughs> Blake, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having uh, me. How can people learn more about you or get in touch with you? I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the, the best place. Blake Hudson, manager at Tapcart and good to go from there boom cool well thanks man and good luck at the new gig yep